Good morning. Um, I, can, I can imagine how uh, disappointing, honestly, it must have been for Peter and Andrew uh, to have heard those words from people that they really looked up to and respected. I mean, when, when they looked them in the eye and said, you know, we just don't think you have what it takes, and therefore you're dismissed. I mean, those are hard words to swallow no matter the context. But when you understand the Jewish educational system back in those days, how intense it was, how much those little boys wanted to succeed and please their parents and please their rabbis and please the people of that community, those words are even harder to hear. Those little boys that would go to, go to Bet Safar, their first little school at five years old, and they would, they would learn about the, 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 the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Not just learn about the Torah, but memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. They had until they were 13 years old to do that. If they could, then they could go on to the secondary education, which was Pet, Bet Talmud, and that's where they would look at the Tanakh or the entire Old Testament and try to learn the rabbi's interpretations of the entire Old Testament as well as try and memorize, believe it or not, the entire Old Testament. And those that could and those that shined and those that were kind of the best of the best who really, who really excelled, they, 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 just, they wanted to hear the words from the rabbis who would look at them and say, come follow me. And that's the way they could be selected to be a rabbi, to come and to be a student, to come and to be a disciple, to hopefully become a rabbi. And that's what all of them wanted because the rabbis back then were kind of the center of the culture. They were the leaders. They were the rock stars of that culture. Every mom hoped that their little boy would grow up to be a rabbi because they were just at the center of everything. Okay, so now, now it makes sense when Matthew tells us that Jesus, this up-and-coming new rabbi, rolls into town and says to Peter and to, uh, uh, to Peter and to Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. And, and here's what we understand. They had not made it. They had not made the cut, so they would go back to their family business, which was fishing. But now it makes sense. Now that I understand what's going on, it makes sense because look what Jesus said. He said, come follow me. Those were the words, the specific words that rabbis would say to say, hey, I see in you. I believe in you, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. See, and I, I'd always read that and thought how weird it was that these guys who presumably had never met Jesus before just would drop their nets and follow him. Their nets, their security, their business, their, their, their financial uh, uh, security, that they would just follow their nets and go and follow Jesus made no sense. But now I understand. He was a rabbi saying, come follow me. I believe in you. I believe you have what it takes. I mean, goodness, it'd be like if there was, uh, my boys and I were playing basketball, shooting hoops out in the driveway, and here comes this big, long stretch limousine, and the door opens, and LeBron James emerges and looks at my boys and says, hey, you guys look pretty good. Come follow me. 
I think you have what it takes to be in the NBA. Do you think that they would look at their mom and do any more chores? No. Would they drop their school books? Absolutely. It would not take much convincing. And that's what was going on when they accepted the call to follow Jesus. Now, right there, I have to pause and say, that sounds like really good news to me. And maybe to some of you as well. Because if you've ever heard the words, hey, yeah, we just, we just don't think you have what it takes. If you've ever applied to a program at school and some teacher or professor says, yeah, we're just going to, we're not going to be able to let you in. Or if you've been at work and someone has passed you over for promotion and they said, you know what, we're, we're just going to go a different direction. Or if you've, you know, you've, you've pitched your idea and they say, you know what, we're just going to go with a different firm. We just don't know. Or the worst of the worst maybe is to look at that special someone and they look at you and go, why don't we just be friends? <laughs> Rejection's hard. And Jesus comes to these guys and I think to us as well and says, I don't. I don't care what other people have said. I don't care if they've told you you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough. I, that, that, I don't, that's not how I see it. I, I believe in you. I don't care if they've said you're not smart enough or talented enough. I don't care if they say you don't have enough experience. I don't care if they say you're not tall enough, good looking enough, rich enough. Whatever it is, I don't care what those other people have told you. Jesus comes along and says, you know what? With me, we can do amazing things. I believe in you. Come and follow me, and I will make you, I will transform you into something that can be world-changing. That's good right there. And that's what Jesus is saying to us today. Come and follow me, and I will transform you. I will make you fishers of men. Now, if we understand the context or the why in which these guys might immediately drop their nets and follow Jesus, it's probably a good idea for us to understand the nature of what it is that they were committing themselves to. Because when you said yes to following a rabbi, you talk about, you know, <laughs> memorizing the Tanakh is a serious commitment. When you talk, when you commit to following a rabbi, that's a serious commitment. That is saying, I will go where you go. I will follow you. I will listen to your teaching. I will, I will try to memorize your words. I will try to live like you live. A few months ago, I was teaching about this, and I said there was, a, there was actually a blessing that emerged where uh, people would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea was, may you be following your rabbi so closely that as they walked, their sandals would kick up dust and some of it would get on you. That's how closely you would be following. It is complete submission to their way, to their priorities, to their teaching, to what is called their yoke. If you're a student of Jesus, you might remember Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what a rabbi's teaching, his way, his priorities were called. It was called their yoke. And Jesus gives us an idea, a clue as to what his teaching is all about, what his mission is all about, what his priorities are. He says, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men, fishers of people. 
See, for Jesus, it was one of the reasons that he came. It's one of the reasons that he gave up the, the glory of heaven to come down to be wrapped in flesh, to deal with the things that you and I deal with. He came down because he loved people so much. He said, I have come to seek and save the lost. He's been sent by the Father to us. For Jesus, it's about fishing for people. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say this. Following means fishing. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, following means fishing. Yeah, see, when I grew up, I kind of learned that what following Jesus meant was that you, you know, didn't do a lot of bad things. You know, we were kids, so they just kind of held it out over us, like, don't do a bunch of bad things. So I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then as we went along, they would try and teach us, you know what, following Jesus means that you go to church every day, or you go to, or every week, or you, you read your Bible every day. Or going to church means that you're really nice. Or going to, following Jesus means that you're really nice. Or following Jesus means that you write a check. Or following Jesus means that you pray. And certainly following Jesus entails a lot of things. But here's what I think Jesus would say. If there's no fishing, then there's no real following. Following means fishing. It's got to be. A part of it, this word evangelism that we hear of in church, based on the Greek word euangelion. Everybody say euangelion. It's not just an alternative rock band from the 90s. It is. It is a Greek word that means sharing the good news about Jesus. Euangelion. And for Jesus, it is, this is near and dear to the center of his priorities, to what he came to do and what it means to follow him. And in some churches, evangelism is a department. And that's not bad to have a department, but if they just have a department, then what do the rest of us do as followers of Jesus? In some churches, they have an evangelism pastor. And that's okay, but what if I'm not the pastor? What do the rest of us do? Because for Jesus, he's, he would say, following means fishing. Part of following me is fishing. And so if I relegate that to a department, if I relegate that to a pastor, if I relegate it to the people that have the spiritual gift of evangelism, some of you have been in church long enough to, to take a spiritual gifts inventory or a test. And for those of you that have the spiritual gift of evangelism, you're like, yes, and you're out there, and you're extroverts, you're talking to people, or whatever. But just because you don't have that spiritual gift, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook, that we say, well, that's for other people to do. I believe that Jesus would say that following means fishing, and it's for every one of us. It's not relegated to a department. It's not relegated to a pastor. It's not relegated to those who just, to just those who have the spiritual gift. It's not relegated to a program. It's not relegated to a campaign. Some churches will say, you know what we're doing for the next few weeks? We're going to do evangelism. Or we're going to have a, a bring a friend Sunday. Guys, every Sunday ought to be bring a friend Sunday. Are you with me on that? Like every Sunday ought to be a Sunday where we're welcoming new people to hear about the goodness and the greatness and the graciousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This ought to be a place where people are constantly coming in and going, what is all this about? This is exciting. Every sin it's one of the reasons that I came here. I've watched you. The world has watched you. Do everything short of sin for decades. Because you have a white-hot passion 
for, to, to help people far from God get to know God. It's been your commitment. In fact, when, when I got here, one of the things I'll do is I'll go around to people and I introduce myself and we talk to people and I'll always ask them this question. Hey, if you had my job, what would you do? And people give me all kinds of ideas, but the one thing that I hear over and over and over and over again, usually with people locking eyes with me, leaning in, saying, Dave, whatever you do, you have got to keep us focused on the mission of Jesus to help people far from God discover the goodness and the gracious and the graciousness of Jesus, and I love that. You turned to somebody before and you said, following means fishing. Turn to somebody different now. Go ahead and turn to somebody different and tell them, you're my second choice. <laughs> no, no, turn to them. Turn to them. And this time with a little attitude, like you mean it, like you're getting convinced, and with a little southernness, say, you know what? Fishing is the mission. Go ahead and tell them. Fishing is is the mission. Do you believe that? Hey, um, watch this. If, if, uh, if I were going to invite you to go fishing with me some weekend, I mean, let's be honest, that probably will never happen. Um, not because I don't love you, but because I'm what, I'm what you would call indoorsy, Okay. <laughs> I'm not really into hiking or nature or fishing or things like that. My poor wife, I mean, she, she grew up, she married the indoorsy guys. She grew up uh, in a family full of outdoorsy guys. They love hiking and they love camping and they love all this. I remember the first time I stayed at their house and my mother-in-law, we're all you know, heading to, to sleep. My mother-in-law says, hey, you know what, Dave? Just want you to know uh, uh, our house is your house. Whatever you need. I said, okay. So in the middle of the night when I get thirsty, I go to the fridge. I open the wrong side of the refrigerator. And in the freezer is this baggie full of frozen chicken heads. Like just standing there. You know, like that. And I'm like, what kind of voodoo family have I gotten myself mixed up in? Well, it turns out her dad is a falconer. That's her dad. He trains hawks to go hunting for him. Everybody go, right? I mean, this is the kind of guy, and the chicken heads are to feed the hawk. I don't know anything about this world. I don't know a lot about fishing, but here's what I do know about fishing. I know if that we were to go fishing together, you would probably bring one of these, a fishing pole. Because that's the image of fishing we think about when we're fishing for fun, when we're fishing on the weekend, when fishing is a hobby, when it's an option, that's how we fish. But Jesus rolled up on the Sea of Galilee and talked to Simon Peter and talked to Andrew. He was talking to professional fishermen. And when you're talking to professional fishermen, people whose livelihood comes from fishing, people who feed their family with fishing because it is literally a life and death deal whether or not they catch fish or not. They don't go out single person with a single pole. They grab as many people as they can in the biggest net that they can and they fish like that, right? And I believe that when Jesus said to them and to us, 
that we ought to be fishers of people. He was imagining net fishing. And I am afraid that what happens most often in church world is that we, we settle for rod fishing. One guy with a pole on a stage on the weekend throwing out the line. I believe what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I believe he sees the church more like a net work of human beings being flung out into the world, not just on the weekend, but all throughout the week. And all of us together being fishing fishermen of people. Now, some of you are getting a little nervous. This feels like pressure. This feels like you you want me to do something. You want me to sign up for something. This feels like it's going to take time, and I don't have any time. Goodness, Dave, I've got two and a half kids. They play soccer. I've got a minivan. I work 65 hours a week. Ain't nobody got time for what you're talking about. And I just want to say to you, relax. Because bless is not a program. It's not a slogan. It's not a new uh, time commitment. It's not really about time. It's not, it's not about being, uh, spending more time. It's about, or it's not about being, uh, spending more time. It's about being more intentional with the time that we spend. Does that make sense? It's a missional rhythm. It's a way to live. I picked it up from Australian church leaders. A friend of mine who was here a couple of weeks ago, Dave Ferguson, actually just wrote a book about it, Bless, how to, well, how to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. It is literally just a very simple way to live. Sean introduced us to it. It's right here. It's an acronym. Begin with prayer. I begin to pray. God, who is it that you would call me to bless? I don't need any more time. The prayers that I'm already praying, I just need to include. God, who is it that you'd like me to bless? Lord, change my heart. Help me to see people the way you see people. I just want to include that in my prayers. In my conversations with people, I want to talk less, listen more. I want to listen to where people are coming from. I want to listen to their story. I, I want to understand where are the places that they're hurting because only through listening with people do I understand how we might be able to help or how the gospel sounds like good news to them. And then E, this is the best one, eat. Come on, somebody. Eating for Jesus, it doesn't get better than that. And you're going to eat anyway, so what would it look like when you're out uh, or when you're eating during lunch hour at work to say, you know what, rather than just eat by myself, maybe I'm going to eat with a couple of friends. Or instead of just eating with the friends that I always eat with, what if I ate with a person that doesn't have that many friends? Or what if I eat with a person that I know is discouraged and over the course of our eating, I just want to build relationship with them. And then I want to serve people. Once I discover the ways that I can help, then I just want to be available to help people. And then through the course of that relationship building and all of those steps, I win the right to share the good news about Jesus with people. And I love blessed because anybody can do it. I don't have to get into theological debates with people. I don't have to memorize the Tanakh, the entire Old Testament. I don't have to do any of those things. I just have to live my life more intentionally with fishing in mind. All right. Well, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to show you each of these steps. I'm going to go through the first two 
today. And real quick, I just want to say this. If you're somebody who's here today, uh, maybe for the first time, or you would say, hey, this sounds like something that Christians would do, and I don't even know if I'm a Christ follower yet, and I just want to say to you, welcome. Like, we're really glad that you're here. You're part of the reason that we do this. In fact, all the people that are going to clap right now are going to let you know that we're super excited that you're here for the first time. This is why we do what we do. And I just want to share with you that I have seen bless be effective in just about any area or realm where you're trying to gain influence with people. And so if you're here for the first time, don't check out. Lean in. Because if you are a salesperson trying to nurture relationships in a sales funnel, if you're in a classroom and you're a teacher and you're trying to win influence with students, whatever area you're in, I've seen Bless, you adapt these concepts and see Bless gain influence, gain you influence with people. All right. So for all of us, let's start with the first one. B is begin with prayer. Jesus made this a regular part of his Life. Jesus prayed before feeding the 5,000. He prayed on days when everybody was vying for his attention. He would take time away from people to go on the mountainside to spend the night to pray. He prayed before big decisions, before choosing the 12 apostles. Jesus was always praying. And we want to be a prayerful people. I want to pray, God, where are people coming from? God, who are the people that you want me to bless? God, help me to have your heart for people? Who are the people that maybe are already um, asking some of the big questions of life? Lead me to those people, I pray. I'm praying for divine appointments. Have you ever heard anybody talk about divine appointments? I was in a small group a couple years ago, and I was actually leading the group. I was was a pastor, and I'm leading the group, and there was this exercise where everybody goes around and says the person that they are praying for to come to Christ. And this person says, well, my mother, and this person says, my neighbor, and this person says, my friend, and it gets around to me, and I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but I've been hanging out in church world for so long, I didn't really know that many non-Christian people. And so when it got to me, I was just honest. I said, actually, I don't know anybody. And I'll never forget Jason, this guy over here, he leans in, he just looks at me, he goes, well, what are you going to do about it? He said, I'm going to be praying that you get some, a divine appointment. And I'm like, okay. And we had a water giveaway. Our church would go out and just give away things in in the community. We had a water giveaway a week later. And I just started praying, God, let there be a divine appointment when we give away these waters. We go to the park. I give away waters. I don't know, probably 100 waters that we gave away to people. I give them a little card. You're invited to the church card, just that sort of thing. And I just got to be honest, it just was never natural for me to be like, here's a water. And they say thank you. And I go, hey, you want to chit-chat about Jesus? Like, it just never seemed natural. It just felt like really, really weird. By the way, that is one of the the rules here. Like when you're doing this, you can't be weird. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably the weird one, okay? But we gave away the water. I didn't think of anything of it. We got done. And then about a month later, our church was doing a car wash. I go up to one of the cars, the window rolls down. I give the guy, you know, the you're invited card. He, He looks at it and he goes, hey, wait a second. I got one of these uh, in the park a few weeks ago. He looks up at me and he goes, and you're the one that gave it to me. 
out of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in our city, and God has our path crossed twice. And both of us has eyes as big as saucers as we realize this big coincidence. And I didn't waste it. I leaned in and go, I think God might be trying to tell you something. And he laughed, and I introduced myself, and, and he introduced himself, and we had a little talk. And I saw his kids in the back of the car, and I said, hey, you know what? We're doing a Halloween event at our church. We, I think your kids would love it. And a few weeks later, he shows up at that event, and then he starts coming to church. And, and then he starts taking next steps with God in his family. And I tell you that because it all started with somebody saying, hey, you need to start praying for divine appointments. And I will tell you, if you'll start praying for divine appointments, if you'll start praying dangerous prayers where we say, God, use me. God, show me somebody in my life. God, move in powerful ways. I believe those are the kind of prayers that God loves to answer. Begin with prayer. The L, the L in bless is to listen. Jesus is always listening In Luke 18, he hears the sound of a blind beggar. Everybody else would just walk on by, but Jesus stops and he stoops down and he asks him in verse 40, hey, what do you want me to do for you? And then Jesus listened to him. In John 5, 6, there's a man with a disability. He's laying on the ground. It says when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And then Jesus listened to him. We're often more interested in speaking our mind than we are listening to other people. How many of you have ever been in a conversation and you're talking and you can just see a glazed over look in the person that you're talking to and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I don't know if this person is hearing a thing that I'm saying. Raise your hand if you've ever had that experience. Yeah, wives' hands all over the room. Just... (laughs) Amazing how that works. But listening is one of the most powerful ways to really bless people around us. Michael Frost is uh, one of those Australian uh, church leaders that I told you about that I learned bless from. And he tells a story about a group of them going to India, and they showed up in force. They had supplies, they had resources, they had tons of volunteers, and they said to this little area, where it was a slum, an under-resourced area, they said, listen, we can build you a school, we can build you a hospital, we can build you a church, what do you, need? What do you want us to do for you? It sounds like the question that Jesus asked. And surprisingly, the people of that little area said to them, we don't need the school, we don't, need the, we don't want those things, we want a mailbox. Because it turns out in India, you could have a slum with 10,000, 20,000 people, but if you don't have a mailbox, if you don't have a zip code, then you're not recognized by the government. And if you're not recognized by the government, then you don't get any of the social services, any of the government funding. And so these people said to the missionaries, we, we don't want just one hospital. We don't want just one school. We don't just want one building. We want a mailbox because a mailbox could change our city. And sure enough, that's what the missionaries did. They went and they lobbied the government. They worked with the government. They got all the papers signed and they got them a mailbox. And then once that zip code hit, then all the funding and all the social services began for those people. And the missionaries wouldn't have known unless they listened. What does good news sound like to that person? 
What does good news sound like to you? The gospel is supposed to be good news. What would good news sound like to you? Are you lonely? Need a friend? Are you tired? And need rest? Are you bored? And need purpose? Are you hurting? And need healing? Are you addicted? And need freedom? Do you feel stuck? And just need some hope? Because if we ever sat down over a cup of coffee together, I could tell you that whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you feel, whatever it is, whatever it is, Jesus is good news. Jesus is the answer for you. Well, I'm out of time. Um, We will be going over the E and the S and the S. Albert is going to be here next week to talk about how to eat for Jesus, okay? Doesn't get any better than that, so come next week for Eating for Jesus. And then our campus pastors are going to talk about uh, serving and sharing. But my prayer, my hope is that today as you leave, you would just have this image in your mind of a net work of humans being flung out into the world that we would be people that would listen, that we would be people who would pray, and that God would use us leading on up to Easter in a powerful, powerful way. Following means fishing. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, as we begin to close this service, we just thank you for Jesus. Lord, I can't get past even just the first thing that I said that that those who others would discard, those who others would reject, those who others would say aren't good enough, will never amount to, don't live up to, Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. Come and follow me. I believe in you. I will transform you. I will make you. And Father, in no area of our life is that more powerful than in the area of our life where we accept our forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, where we say, yes, I did not live up to, I have sinned, I have made my mistakes, I have not lived up to the way you created me, and yet Jesus says, that's okay. I will die on the cross in your place. And the invitation to us is to put our faith in him that our sins could be forgiven and that we could live with God forever, that we could be restored to what Jesus dreamed us up to be. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. And may that truth, may that gospel, may that good news be so powerful in our hearts that it bubbles up over and that we couldn't help but to share it with other people. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.